Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk money and power with Hope Credit Union CEO Bill Bynum. Then, state health officials highlight an underutilized COVID treatment and what a new teacher survey tells us about the future of education in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This month on Mississippi Edition, we're talking about race in America, past, present, and future. And we can't talk about black U.S. history or any U.S. history, for that matter, without talking about access to capital. Bill Bynum knows that well. He's founder and CEO of Hope Credit Union, which provides banking services to parts of the Deep South, historically underserved by financial institutions. I think we exist to... Make sure that things like where you're born, your gender, your race don't limit uh, your opportunity to support your family and contribute to your economy. And at some point, though, that requires financial tools, whether it's to buy a home, a business, a you know to, to finance a grocery store in a food desert, to, to finance a hospital or a rural health clinic. Uh, those things require capital. And unfortunately, across the Deep South and here in Mississippi, that capital is not as readily available in communities of color, in rural places, in, in, in low-income white communities. And so we, we, we are, we're pleased to be able to step in and provide support. When you began this, did you see redlining going on? Um, redlining has unfortunately um, been with us for <laughs> centuries. And even though there are laws that um, are supposed to restrict that. You know, we, we, we see in Mississippi, you know, when you've got black families that earn $150,000 a year getting turned down at um, higher rates than white families that make thirty dollars to $40,000 a year, you know there's some systemic discrimination in the banking system. Um, when, you, when you see so many people, um, so many small mom-and-pop businesses, uh, owned by people of color that closed uh, during the financial crisis because they couldn't get a lifeline from their bank. Almost 40% of bank uh, black businesses across the country closed compared to less than 20% of white-owned businesses. 
you know, that, that speaks to um, systemic barriers in, in the traditional financial sector. And, and so it, it creates opportunities for hope. It also creates opportunities for traditional banks and credit unions to, to step back in and look at how they can better serve uh, what is becoming the emerging majority uh, in here in Mississippi and across the country. I don't think we should be talking about black and brown people as a minority. Uh, the demographics clearly say we are becoming a much more diverse country. And if we don't make sure that everyone has the ability to support the economy, we're, we're going to lose ground as a nation. Here we are in Black History Month, and we're talking about a, a successful credit union that's operated um, by a man of color. Why are there so few of these types of financial institutions? We, we can look back at the history of the country, certainly here in Mississippi, across the Deep South, and and see where the path has not been easier for people of color, to put it mildly. Um, if you, you look at where we had the highest concentrations of poverty prior to the Civil War, and today, look at where you have the fewest bank branches, where you have the worst housing conditions, so less at the uh, lower access to affordable quality health care, where you don't have grocery stores that provide nutritious food. And those are the same places where you have the highest concentrations of poverty and where you have the highest concentrations of people of color. Yeah, so there there are, have been long-standing lack of investment and lack of opportunity made available to people of color and communities of color in rural rural areas. But we've also seen that when you can crack the door and provide people with the tools they, that other people often take for granted, you know, they can do anything that any wells can do. They, they often outperform uh, others. They, they, they're more motivated. They work hard. They, they've done more with less. And so they're ready to succeed. We just have to open that door. And you help people with financial planning? Because there's a lot the average person doesn't know about finances. No, that's that's right. And when you've been excluded from the financial system, you you, you're, you just have not had the opportunity to... To, 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 to become as um, prepared. You, you don't know what you don't know. And so we, in addition to structuring financing in a, in a responsible, um, affordable way, we often will couple our services with um, financial advice. We'll, we'll work with other nonprofits and organizations that help people with business plans, with financial planning. You know, and, and when you think about it, that's something that everyone needs. But when you have a banker in your family, you have an attorney in your church, you have the advisors in your ecosystem more readily, you're going to come by that advice um, in, in, a, in an easier, more accessible way than when you're in a opportunity-starved uh, environment where wealth and expertise has been extracted or never really been allowed to develop. Uh, in the way it has in other places. So what is your vision for the future for Hope Credit Union? You know, we are, are I think, just getting started, quite honestly, in in having um, more resources at our disposal, at our disposal to, to help people, again, do what 
um, we all want for our families. We want decent housing. We want decent education. We want good jobs, and that takes capital. And so there's not a not a shortage of need and viable demand. We, we, we know that we can structure financing in a way that helps people uh, support their families and their local communities. And and so uh, we will continue to, to provide services wherever um, is needed in the Deep South. Um, we're really excited about the support we've seen over the past several um, months, and we'll we, we will we'll continue to put that to work in ways that hopefully help move the needle on economic opportunity in in, in our region, a place that has um, I think uh, not realized its potential, but. Um, when you provide the tools, again, I've, I've seen really amazing things that people are capable of, and we look forward to supporting that in the years ahead. Anything that I didn't ask you that's important to point out? You know, I, I think that we are, we are. well, I would say that I've seen during times of crisis, like after Hurricane Katrina, uh, after after the financial uh, crisis in 2007, 2008, and, and over the past year, and in the aftermath of George Floyd and the health crisis and the and the economic crisis that ensued, you see investments in 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 by government to help get the economy back and people back on their feet. Often, uh, more money goes into uh, the, in the economy than. You can imagine trillions of dollars are being plowed into recovery. I think if we don't use that wisely, we'll see opportunity gaps widen. We'll see, we'll see the wealth disparities widen. And so it's really critical that we hold our policymakers, our banks, our institutions that are charged with deploying those resources accountable to make sure that it's not just the – we don't do what we've done over the years to put us in a position where you have a – 10 to 1 black-white wealth gap, 100 to 1 for black families with children compared to white families with children. As the economy becomes more diverse, um, that is just not sustainable. This is none of our self-interest. And so I think accountability and, and, and just making sure that we put those resources to use in a way that, that, that works for all of us. I think when we all win, we all win. And so uh, hopefully we can keep that in mind and our policymakers and institutions uh, can can can, can uh, make sure that we deploy resources in an equitable, fair way. Bill Bynum, CEO of Hope Credit Union, thank you so much for taking thank the time you, to Deborah. speak with us. We appreciate no, it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Coming up, what a new teacher survey tells us about the future of education in Mississippi this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi has a shortage of COVID-fighting monoclonal antibody treatments. MPB's Kobe Vance reports health officials say underutilized oral antivirals could help curb the pandemic. 
Mississippi receives allotments of monoclonal antibody treatments from the federal government to help prevent severe illness in patients who have tested positive for COVID-19. But there's now a shortage of these drugs in the state. We don't have those many doses of monoclonals, right? We got really used to using that, but we have a lot of underutilized orals. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says there used to be several monoclonal treatments available, but only two remain effective against Omicron. He says the total weekly allotment of monoclonals coming into the state is now less than 500. The citrovimab is an infusion, right? So you have to get an IV and you have to you know, have it, have it infused and, and the tablets are a little bit more similar to medications we're used to. The majority of monoclonal antibody infusions are being distributed to specific health care providers and hospitals across the state and are being offered priority use to those most at risk for severe outcomes. Chief Medical Officer Dr. Dan Edney says these oral antivirals are easier to transport to rural areas in the state and supplies are much more plentiful. We also, outside of the health department supply chain, have the antiviral remdesivir, but it's also an intravenous, and it's actually a three-day infusion, but it's another tool that we have. You know, the citrovimab being a tight supply and remdesivir being more difficult to administer makes the orals all that more important. Health officials say there is one oral antiviral that can help prevent contracting the coronavirus. However, they say the vaccines remain the most effective way to prevent severe illness and death. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Still ahead, what a new teacher survey tells us about the future of education in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The teaching profession is in crisis in the state. That's according to education advocacy group Mississippi First, who recently released their 2022 teacher survey. The survey asked thousands of teachers throughout the state what their jobs are like and whether they plan to stay at those jobs if current challenges persist. Rachel Cantor, who's Mississippi First executive director, says... The troubles are many. What this report found was that there are a lot of teachers who are thinking about leaving the classroom, and compensation is the big driver. How is the pipeline now? We have a very concerning pipeline. We have two and three Mississippi school districts are now classified as critical shortage areas, which means that they have more vacancies than they can fill, especially in certain grades and subjects. And that was a definition that was that is uh, held by the Mississippi Department of Education, and this is information they track over time to see whether or not um, there are enough people who to fill our classrooms. And the fact that now we have two and three Mississippi school districts who are meeting this definition of critical shortage means that we have a real problem in many areas of the state. And so we wanted to. This is why we wanted to do this survey. Why are we having so much of a problem with our teacher pipeline? What do current teachers say um, is impacting their decisions about being in the classroom? What districts are we talking about, counties? It's a lot of different counties across Mississippi. And you could have a school district in a county that is experiencing a critical shortage, while another school district in the county might not be experiencing a critical shortage. For example, you could have a county like 
uh, Madison County that has Canton and Madison, those two school districts are very, very different, and they're going to experience teacher vacancies very differently. Um, Madison is going to have more applications for every job than Canton is going to have, and they're probably going to have more qualified candidates for every job than Canton is going to have. Because Madison is a larger, more well-resourced school district, and it has a higher achievement level. So that may make it more attractive to new teachers or current teachers than Canton, which may struggle to fill its vacancies to attract and retain teachers and fill its vacancies. So we have critical shortage districts all across the state and every part of the state. But certainly the the areas that we've long had critical shortage are still on that list. Areas in our Delta region, areas in our some of our central and northern school districts that are more rural that tend to have fewer resources within the district find it harder to compete with larger or more well-resourced school districts that can pay a higher um, bonus or school district supplement, I should say. And in terms of salaries, were you able to find out what amount would satisfy teachers or make them feel like it's worth staying? So we asked them a variety of different questions to try to find out what were steps that the legislature could take. So we asked about salaries. We asked about whether or not teachers thought stipends to um, teach in critical shortage areas would make a difference. We asked about loan repayment. And above all of the the options we gave them, we gave them nine different options of nine different things the legislature could try. Consistently, what teachers said was that depending on the strategy – If the strategy was more well-funded, they were more likely to think that that would make a difference rather than if the same strategy was just less well-funded. So, for example, teacher above and beyond, teachers said the number one strategy that the legislature could enact to keep them in the classroom was a $3,000, at least a $3,000 across-the-board pay raise. On the flip side of that, they said that the least impactful strategy of the nine was only a $1,000 pay raise. They said other strategies would make more of a difference, even if it wasn't a pay raise, if they were only going to go for a $1,000 pay raise. So so that means that what teachers are looking for is they're looking for a meaningful difference in the bottom line that they take home in their check. They're looking for a meaningful difference in terms of loan repayment. They're looking for a meaningful difference in terms of if the legislature were to, you know, cut the cost of tuition for new new teachers. So there's the, it's, it's a very clear, um, they spoke with a very clear voice on that, that what makes a difference is the size of the investment that legislators are willing to make in the teacher teaching profession. Both the Senate and the House have authored bills to give teachers raises. I believe the House bill gives a $4,700 raise. Have you been able to tell or get their reaction to those two bills at all? In our survey, which we did in November and late November and December of 2021, we hadn't yet seen either the House or the Senate proposals. But both of those proposals meet 
the minimum requirements here that teachers from our survey said. They said at a minimum they want to see a $3,000 salary increase across the board, and both the House proposal and the Senate proposal meet that requirement. Now, they're different, and they have different impacts on different teachers at different times in their career, but either of those proposals would satisfy teachers according to these options that we gave them in terms of what would make the most impact. So the best case scenario that we can see for teachers is that the legislature takes the the great parts of both of those proposals and puts them into law and funds them because that would help teachers and make them um, more likely to stay in the classroom, at least according to this survey. Teachers who are struggling financially, some are getting public assistance. Yes. So that was one of the findings that was very sad and eye-popping to us is that there are teachers whose salaries are so low and they, they likely have responsibilities in their household. They could be single um, single household earners. They could have a number of dependents. They could have an adult dependent. And they are based on their income and based on their expenses. They qualify for public assistance. And it's not a it's not a huge percentage of teachers who are in that category. We fa- but we did find that large percentages of teachers were working a second job, didn't have an emergency fund to cover three months of expenses, would be unable to cover a four hundred dollar emergency expense. These are the things that we found that teachers told us were true um, for different percentages of teachers, and that was very concerning. But yes, there are there are a portion of teachers, 4.6%, who said they relied on SNAP, for example, which is food stamps. Based upon this survey, do you see more teachers leaving in droves, because that's what we're hearing, between teachers and nurses? Yes. So the the top-line finding that was really, really concerning was at least half of the respondents in the survey picked one option for exiting the classroom. They said they were somewhat or very likely to consider one of these options for leaving the classroom, whether that was exiting the education profession entirely, taking a different type of role in education that wasn't a classroom-based role, or moving to another state for another job um, in the education profession. Those That was very concerning. And so while it is unlikely that all of those teachers will exit the classroom within the next year. The fact that so many teachers are seriously considering exiting the classroom should be a huge, huge red flag alarm to every single person who cares about public education in the country and in our state. Rachel Canner with Mississippi First, thank you so much for sharing this survey information with us. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Happy Valentine's Day. We'll see you tomorrow at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.